the single yeah. family people tend to stay longer, you know, and multifamilies, yeah. there's more turnover, there tends to be typically more turnover, but you have cash coming in when one side's vacant and that sort of thing. So I definitely saw that opportunity. I wasn't necessarily looking for duplexes, though, because my focus when I first started was to build like this really solid foundation. You're listening to Investing for Good, a show that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design and impact the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hello, hello, everyone. I'm Annie Dickerson here with my awesome co-host, Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you today? I am doing fantastic. You want to know why? Yes, of course. (laughs) Well, I am coming off the heels of a weekend with the husband with no kids. And it's beautiful weather here in San Francisco in October, mid October is when we're recording this. And if there's anything that I live for here in the Bay Area, it's this time of year because the weather is just amazing. And we spent the weekend up in Napa without kids. And, you know, there's something about walking down the street in Yontville after going to a winery with your husband and enjoying a great meal. And the weather is 85 degrees, maybe 90 outside. And, you know, you're sitting outside next to the fireplace, listening to some live music that takes you back to a time before you have kids. (laughs) And it's amazing what that does for you and your relationship and and all of that. So yeah, it was fantastic. This sounds like a dream come true. And it's even and I saw your photo of all the wine bottles that came home with you. So I know it was a great trip. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it was definitely a good one. And we also got some good news today that the kids will be going back to school in less than two weeks. So I am the last like five days or so. (laughs) I know. I mean, it's just like the last five days or so are just amazing. So yeah, I'm a happy camper. (laughs) Man, that's amazing. And it's a testament to, you know, the good vibes, the good thoughts, the good intentions Mm -hmm. that you put out into the world, they come back to you and the universe conspires to bring you the things that you you want. And so it's, you know, I love hearing that you're, you know, you're living your life by design that you've always wanted to live and you're doing it, you're doing it. So that's amazing. And as is our guest today, Sunita yes. Rao, and she is just incredible. Incredible. What an inspiration. Now she used to be, she was a former professional tennis player and Olympian. She actually went to the Beijing Olympics. I cannot believe it. I was like, I was like on the edge of my seat. I was like, should I ask for her autograph or is that weird? (laughs) But now, nowadays, you know, she left the, so she left her tennis career and she said, okay, well now what? She had left Mm -hmm. school early to pursue this tennis career. And when that ended, when she retired, she said, okay, well, now what do I do? And so one thing led to another and she found real estate. And I love towards the end of the conversation, she talks about how it's really changed everything for her, not just her portfolio and her passive income, but it's really changed her life and her tribe. And she's found her people and she's developed this self-awareness so that she can be her authentic self. So I love that. 
Yeah, yeah, that was such a good response. I think it was the first time we ever got that answer in response to that question that we had, but was such a good one, because I think it's so true for me as well. Four years ago, three years ago, when I fell into all of this, and just, I did, I felt like I finally met my people and so many different people from all different walks of life kind of come together and do this real estate thing. And it's been an amazing journey. And yeah, I love that was her answer for how real estate has has changed her life. But yeah, she, you know, it's so cool to see a different perspective because I think a lot of times folks who get on the show, their stories uh, can be kind of similar in terms of their journey and jumping in and, you know, doing a lot of deals or, you know, going big and going hard. And that was not necessarily her journey. And she had a couple of years where she, you know, was able to really research and save money and, and educate herself. And I think that that really, as you had mentioned in the show, really served her well, you know, as she moved into doing deals and, you know, it's so interesting how she only financed like one deal to traditional way out of the what six that she's done that you know and then she's done some she had an investor on one she did some burr financing on another or uh, she did some seller financing on another one and yeah it's just wild and so yeah really great episode and it's great to talk to somebody who has a little bit of a different perspective to share absolutely and so for any of our listeners if you're in that phase where you're not quite ready to invest yet you're still doing that research and you're still talking to people you know i think patience is key and keep going. Don't give up and keep looking for those resources because you are going to get there. And so speaking of which, if you are looking for a great book to teach you more about the whole world of multifamily syndication and passive investing, be sure to grab a free hardcover copy of our book, Investing for Good. Just cover the shipping and handling for us and we'll send you your free copy. Just text the word book to 414 And with that, we'll get into our conversation with Sunita Rao. Sunita, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm well, thanks. I'm excited to speak with the both of you today. Thanks for having me. We are so excited to have you here. Now, Sunita, I got to tell you, when we first met earlier this year at a conference, you know, way back when you could still go to conferences in person, (laughs) I was completely blown away by your story. So I'm super excited for you to share it today with our listeners. Now, you are a former professional tennis player and Olympian, which I cannot believe, like (laughs) fame sitting right here in front of us. But over the years, you've now you've become um, a real estate investor and you kind of took a turn through corporate finance as well. So these days you're full on into real estate investing, as I understand. No, you're not. Okay. So let's get into that. Cause I know you moved from Boston to Indianapolis for something. I thought it was for real estate investing, but tell us. Okay. Okay. So tell us the story. Tell us the story. So, okay. So yeah, my original background was in the sporting world, spent nine years uh, traveling the world, playing tennis professionally, was played in the Grand Slam, was in the Beijing Olympics, like that whole thing happened. And then I retired and I had no money. I had no education. I I dropped out of school after sixth grade so that I could train full time. And then at 23, I I retired and I was like, "Uh uh-oh. Like, what am I going to do with life now? You know, like I have really not many means to support myself. Like what is education? So I decided to go back to school. I needed to like prove myself another arena and then decided that I wanted to be successful in the corporate world. I wanted that stable paycheck. I wanted like that every, that, that income coming in every week or every other week, you know, because my prior life, my income was so variable. 
So I did that, went into corporate finance, thought things were great. For various reasons, they were not quite what I had expected or hoped for. That was when I found real estate investing. I was looking for ways to influence my personal life more than just the way that like my company would influence it, more than I could influence it by relying on one stream of income. So I started investing and then realized, okay, I live in Boston. It is so expensive, you know, and I am working as a finance analyst. I'm not exactly making like the big bucks yet. (laughs) And I realized like I could really have much more a competitive advantage and grow my business much quicker if I moved to Indianapolis. So about, I think it was a year after I closed on my first property, I like packed up all my things, my apartment, put everything in a pod, put everything in my car, left like all the people that I ever cared about (laughs) on the East Coast. and was like, let's do this. (laughs) Mind you, I did still have my job and I do still have it today. So I am still walking the line between kind of trying to grow my corporate career at a pace where the income will help me fuel my portfolio, but also kind of manage the portfolio and my time so that I'm not investing so much time that I can't grow the portfolio to where I need it to be, you know, so it's it's a tricky balance kind of have and I started investing my first property was two and a half years ago, I closed on. And so at this point, I'm at nine doors. And it's, it's been mostly funded through my own money. And my last my last two deals, I've started to branch out because now I have some equity. Now I have a track record, I can work with investors and that sort of thing. But then it's been quite the grind and quite an interesting process to kind of grow two things simultaneously so that hopefully you can leave one behind and have one be very passive one day. Well, first of all, kudos to you. That's a huge switch to go from a life in the limelight, playing sports, traveling the world, and then all of a sudden that stops and you're Mm. like, okay, what next? Nobody cares anymore. You're not (laughs) special anymore. (laughs) That's wild to, to have your whole life sort of shift on a dime like that. And so so you said you had left school at sixth grade. So mm-hmm. was it your dream? Was, was it originally your dream to just play tennis for, I don't know. I don't know. Do people play I mean, tennis for- People usually play until like in their thirties, like more recently okay. people's careers have lasted longer. So like that time mm-hmm. span to make that big money is very small. And it was my dream to play, but I also had a very forceful parent. So if it wasn't my dream, it sure as hell was, hell was going to be my dream. <laughs> <you know? laughs> So oh, those Asian parents. Right? Oh my gosh. So yeah, that was kind of like how that happened and how like I didn't know better other than to leave school. I didn't like school. I was 11 and I just I, I knew I liked to be on the tennis court and so they supported it because that's what they wanted to. Oh my gosh, I cannot even believe. Okay, we're going to get into the real estate <laughs> stuff, I promise. But I'm just so fascinated. The Olympics. Okay, you got to tell us, like, what was that experience like? How did that even happen? And like, so I actually, so my parents are Indian. I actually played for India in the Olympics because Serena Williams, you're not going to sit Serena and Venus, you know, and each country only has like a few spots, like two to three spots per per country. And so I played for India. And it was one of the most amazing experience in my life, you know, within the sport of tennis, like, it's not our end goal to be in the Olympics, we have the grand slams, it's just not something that we fixate on. But then to go to a place where it is the end goal of so many athletes, literally every day of their lives, since they are tiny is filled with backbreaking work, just to get to this one two week event, the energy insane, you know, and it's just, it's so humbling. Like, I honestly don't even think I I don't think I slept more than like two hours a night. And it wasn't because like, I wanted to but because it was just, 
I was so amped and full of adrenaline all the time at all hours of the day, athletes were training, you'd like push back your curtains at 3am and there would be like a boxer running laps in the courtyard. It was just next level insanity. And I'm so thankful that I had the opportunity to experience that it's truly once in a lifetime. Kind I of a thing. cannot even imagine. So okay, so let's transition to real estate. But I want to ask you, I'm curious. So what do you think from your tennis career that you took that really benefited your transition to corporate finance and real estate? All of it. <laughs> like everything. I'm such like, I really support, especially women, girls being in sports because you learn so many things. So like there's the resiliency aspect, you know, we lose almost every week in the tennis world. So that's like heartbreak every single week because you had hopes and you fight and you like scratch and you just claw and try to get to like the last person standing. And most of the time it doesn't happen, you know, and you have to pick yourself up, start over again. And that's not unlike real estate. Things fall flat all the time. You have deals fall through. You have like things like proverbially kicking you in the mouth when everything breaks in the same month. And you're like, oh my God, am I going to die destitute? And like in a dumpster, I don't know what's happening. (laughs) Um, okay, I'm exaggerating. So I'm not trying to scare off your audience that that will not happen. So, but it's just being able to pick yourself up, learn from the experiences. Like you, as long as you learn, it's not a loss because you will not make that mistake again, you know? And then it's, there's also the aspect of long-term thinking as athletes are training at the age of six, seven, dreaming of being the best in the world when we're 17, 20, that is one heck of a long-term strategic window, you know? And it's the same thing with real estate. There is a lot of money to be made, but it's not going to happen in two months, you know? And things are going to happen. You have to like pick yourself up, act again, put together another plan, and then just keep making steps forward, one increment, one action, one milestone at a time, you know, and being able to think long term and keep that perspective is absolutely critical when you're trying to be successful in the real estate world. It sounds like that mindset that you got from playing sports really translated very well to creating a solid foundation for real estate. So that's 100%. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think so much of real estate success is really about mindset. So and that's what will stop you. And that's what will propel you to the next level. So it's really important. We could not agree more. Okay, so tell us now about let's go to that first deal. So you were working in corporate finance. What was it about? What were you looking for that led you to that first deal? I was working, working so many hours and giving up all of my time, all of my freedom. I was living a life where literally everything that was important to me came after my job, which was insane because I wasn't even like being paid that much to sacrifice my entire life. And then it just felt like the more I kept putting in, the more it kept taking from me. And I was like, there has to be some sort of balance, you know? So When I started, when I found real estate, it actually took me, I didn't have any money. It took me about two years to save up because also I was also in grad school at the time. And so it took me two years of studying to get to a point where I had enough money and I'd set up the team so that I could execute, you know, and throughout that process. And this is kind of something that I hear a lot from like new investors. There's very much of a, I don't know what to do. There are so many options. I think it's really important to figure out what is going to work for you. That's like the whole thing about designing a life with intention, you know, and that you can't skimp over that part, you know, because that will impact the niche in which you invest, that'll impact all of the decisions you make, like how you build your business, you really have to begin with the end in mind. And what does what is that ideal end for you? You know, so I went through like that, this whole like, giant process, because I had the time and I was basically broke. 
<laughs> so by the time I think we're in 2020, 2018 came along, I was ready. I had like a little bit of money left ready to invest. And by that time I had chosen Indianapolis, never been to Indianapolis. By the time when I bought that first house, I still hadn't set foot in Indianapolis. I hadn't set foot in the house. It was like this little, not exactly a duplex, but it was like a single family and like a little detached carriage house. And I remember thinking I was sitting in my office at like, seven or eight o'clock at night, which was like totally normal and going, this is like more money than I've seen at like one time in my bank account. And I'm going to send it all to a bank to buy a house that I have never seen in a city that I've never been in, in a state where my little brother went to undergrad here. And I made so much fun of him for moving out to Indiana. I was like, what are you doing? (laughs) And here I am looking to invest there. Like life is great right now. But I had done my research. I believed in like the process and I believed in the power of real estate. So I just went for it. So tell us about that. Cause I think a lot of people get stuck at that first step where they're like, okay, I need to pick a market and they pull out the whole U S map and they're like, well, oh my God. Uh, <laughs> where do I start? So how did you, cause that talk about don't skimp over. I'm sure that was a huge process. How did you narrow it down to focus on just that one market? And then within that market to pick that one property? So that also began with kind of like what I wanted out of my like end state goal, right? And so I wanted a place that was not only performing well, but was projected to perform well, because I wanted to be in the long term rental space, I wanted to build a passive income so that I could then have the freedom to leave my job or stay or do whatever I wanted, you know, and so to me, that meant like diversification of employers, if people were talking about a recession, even two years ago, you know, more than two years ago. And so I was like, if there is one, like, I need to make sure that it's not all like one type of manufacturing, otherwise, I could be screwed, you know, and so making sure it was diversified, making sure that people were going there for different reasons at different age ranges, like I didn't just I grew up in Florida and I didn't want to invest in in strictly an environment like the town that I grew up in because that was very resort, like hospitality, discretionary income based. You know, if there's a recession, that might get hit. I just wanted to be diversified so that I could kind of ride out whatever happened. I looked at a bunch of different cities. Like I'm in finance. I love numbers. I picked like different statistics from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics and compared them all to each other and the U.S. national average. And Indiana was one of, Indianapolis was one of the places that was performing very well against the economic average of entire country, you know? And then it just kind of came down to, okay, it's doing well, but so is like Austin. So are other places that are much higher priced, you know? So like that's when like the arbitrage opportunity of price to rent, mortgage price, housing prices to what you could rent the house for, that's when that came into play. So trying to find a place where I could still cash flow positively on these smaller units because I'm still kind of in the smaller residential space. Right. Because then that, right, because that goes back to your goal of creating that cash flow. So, and then... I chose my market. And then this was also the challenging part, figuring out where in the city you wanted to, I wanted to invest, you know, there's so many spots. So I did, I did a bunch of research on the different suburbs. And there's like one specific county where there are two towns that have been named like in Forbes and like money magazine as like best places in America to live. Now, obviously, there's high demand in those in those towns. I, it's, there's no arbitrage opportunity there because everybody wants to live there. But if you go to another town in that same county, the same school districts, you know, same crime, same overall kind of population, just slightly less affluent, you can find similar tenant types, but in an area where you can still make money, you know, so that was I literally like my first five doors, I bought all when I was in Boston, all in this one town. (laughs) 
not great for diversification, but it got me started. <laughs> it's like finding a needle in a haystack. You got to like keep yeah. digging. But it's so worth it. You know, the time's going to pass anyway. What are you going to do in that time to make your life better? That's so true. So you did that first deal and it was, uh, it, it sounded like it was two houses on one lot. Is that sort of Kinda, the- Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. So it was like one main house and then this tiny, like completely dilapidated carriage house that I've put back together and I've turned into an Airbnb because it's one of those like things that's very weirdly built. And so I'm like, who would want to live here long-term? No one. <laughs> so <laughs> I turned that into an Airbnb and it's been doing pretty well that way. So was that your plan at the time to buy this one house and then sort of turn it around and then continue to buy in this yeah. area? Okay. Um, I just wanted to continue to buy. Mm-hmm. I didn't anticipate finding more in this in that section of town because it, already it was hard to find deals there, you know, but it was definitely my goal to like buy as many as I could as fast as I could to to scale my portfolio. That's awesome. I'm curious to know, is your Airbnb property doing well, to, like better than all the others that you have? <laughs> it's actually been doing really well, surprisingly. So the first year I did rent it out as a long term rental, because it's so small, mm-hmm. I could only get 500 bucks a month after mm-hmm. property management fees, I was netting 450. As a long term rental, my slow months, I'm netting 800. And that's when I'm really disappointed, you know, so I'm going 800 to like mm-hmm. 1500 net after holding costs and everything else. So I'm like going two to three x what it would have been. And this thing is like, it's 400 square feet split level. It is tiny. So, mm, so cute. And have you thought about doing some other Airbnb like on your other properties or? Not really. I've thought about it on one of my other properties, but the other ones are much bigger. So we're talking four mm. bedrooms, three bathrooms, the holding costs are much higher. And I'm much more hesitant to put something larger on the market. I really like my small one for an Airbnb because I can cater at a cheaper price point to like a lone traveler who wants their own space. You know, as soon Mm -hmm. as you start marking it up, then all of the other costs go up and then it's more expensive to furnish, more expensive to hold. And during these uncertain times, I don't want to put myself in that place when I know I can rent it at a good price and Mm -hmm. keep having that money coming in. We'll get back to our conversation with Sunita in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid like we were that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. 
We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day. Because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now back to our chat with Sunita Rao. Yeah. I love the detail that you went into when you were researching the market and then the submarket. I love the tip about like looking at the county level instead of looking at the city level. And, you know, as we look for deals as well on the larger multifamily scale, I like that. I like looking not just sort of, you know, right in the media area, but really looking in the outskirts that might have similar sort of fundamentals that you look for, like good schools or low crime and those kinds of things. And so I love that. It's funny because I actually also went to invest in the Indiana market back in 2017 and did not turn out as well for me. (laughs) And it ended up being like the worst thing ever that I had to go through, but ended up being something that happened that was good for me because it ended up being the thing that got me into multifamily and pushed me out of the single family home space. But yeah, note to self, you know, do more research on the markets before you buy out there because I ended up buying on a, in an area that wasn't really the best. And as we all know, it's very block by block with with real estate, especially single family homes. Yeah. Yeah. And even even when I live here, I am completely shocked. So like the street I live on is great. Literally two blocks away, there are like gunfights. And I'm like, what is happening? And but like oh they don't goodness. come here. And I don't know why. Yeah. But like I'm happy about it. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is so There's wild. Yeah. Wall. Yeah, <laughs> no, there really is. It's really funny because I was just talking with someone else the other day about the Pennsylvania market and we were kind of talking about the very same thing. And she was able to literally like show me where the bad activity stops. And like, yeah. it, and then like, she's like, just beyond that houses are worth, you know, so much more. And it was just really interesting because it's a weird thing that happens with that. You know, you could be right on the edge of crime and, uh, and it never, never comes over to your side of the street or whatever. It's kind of a funny yeah. thing how that happens. So tell us a little bit about how I'm always curious. I ask this question a lot on the show because I know for me, you know, doing the first deal was easy, you know, doing the second one was pretty easy, but going from one or two to nine, like that just seems like so much, you know, it's one thing to do it when you buy a multifamily apartment building. I mean, you go from zero to 200 or, you know, you go from, you buy one multifamily and you go from, you know, one to 20 or something like that. But are all of your properties, all nine, are they all single family homes? No, there are three duplexes or I mean, I count, I count my first, which has two units as a duplex. Gotcha. Okay. So you have three duplexes and then three, am I doing my math right? Two, four, six, six, seven, eight, nine, and then three single family homes. Okay. Math has yeah. never was never been my strong suit. I need to like break like, I don't understand. Like, like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So three duplexes, which are pretty big there in the Indiana area. I know where yeah. I was it was anyway. Yeah. Which was part of the thing that drew me to the area. So a couple of duplexes. And then 
but your first one, oh, your first one was a duplex. I'm curious, did you see the opportunity in that right away? Like, oh, I could, you know, rent out both kind of separately or not? 100% definitely. I did like I had those two years, you know, so mm -hmm. I definitely understood like the differences between the single families and kind of like when you have multi unit on a lot when you have a single yeah. family, people tend to stay longer, you know, and multi families, yeah. there's more turnover, there tends to be typically more turnover. But you have cash coming in when one side's vacant and that sort of thing. So I definitely saw that opportunity. I wasn't necessarily looking for duplexes though, because my focus when I first started was to build like this really solid foundation. And so the way, mm -hmm. what that felt like to me was to buy these single families in the really solid school districts where someone, where a family mm -hmm. would move in and stay for five years you know, and then move out, do the turn, get it like refinished, and then get someone else in for like the next four, you know, so that mm -hmm. was what felt stable to me. I just, I managed to find duplexes in these areas at really good price points. So I was like, I can't turn my back on this, you know, it wasn't exactly mm -hmm. what I was looking for, but it was too good to pass up. So mm -hmm. that's so smart to think about, you know, school districts and families being the demographic that you're looking to focus on, because, you know, one of the biggest expenses that we have when we own our, our properties, even as you know, owning multifamily on the scale that we do is turnover. So, you know, and vacancy. So when you have people who move out and, you know, then it sits vacant for two months and then you've got to turn the unit every six months or, you know, worse yet, every other month, that's eats up the cash flow. So to think about how can we, you know, everything that we do, it's always about risk mitigation, the risks present yes. themselves. And then we always think about how can we mitigate the exposure to risk and in mm -hmm. the single family world, that's something that you're exposed to a lot more is, is the, the turnover piece of it. Definitely. And also, I think the neighborhood that you buy in, you know, so like you, there might be more turnover in multifamilies, but buying in a better neighborhood has helped me have extremely low turnover rates. So I have had one turnover in the last two and a half years across all my units. And that was my Airbnb, which sucked as a long-term mm -hmm. rental. And I mean, the house, like I also house hacked to get into units with less money, you know? So when I move out, then there's like turnover and there's no money coming in for a minute while it gets rented out. But, oh, and I've had one more turnover when I had to increase market, the rents because they were way under market after I acquired it. So, but like mm -hmm. actual organic turnover within a property that I leased has been so minimal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So now I'm curious to know, tell us a little bit about how you went from like one or two and moving into the, you know, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth property. Like how do people talk to us about that? Cause there's a lot of people out there who start off, you know, with just a handful as have I, where they've got one, two, maybe they do three, but anything beyond that seems to start to feel uncomfortable how do you call, you know, qualify, qualifying for loans? Like, you know, what does that look like? And how did you go for that? And was it just a matter of like, well, do I have enough money? And you know, if you just keep going to the bank, and they keep approving you for the loans, then well, it's a no brainer. What does that look like? The thing is that I don't like so yeah. when I started investing, I was working for a defense manufacturer in like the rotational management program. And those programs, they pay you a lot less because like they're investing in your future. you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but at the time I was making $50,000 a year and I didn't start to make more until like I switched jobs. Like I've done a couple other things to like increase my salary, but, and I was in grad school, you know, so I didn't have the money. I think it comes down to understanding that real estate is like a puzzle, you know, and there's all these different pieces and each 
property in order to acquire it and to make it work, you have to understand what pieces can work with what you bring to the table. As a result, like out of these six properties, I haven't financed one deal the same way twice. Oh, wow. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So like I've done this last one is a duplex FHA. The one before that I took on my first investor and did a birth. The one before that was another house hack, but conventional because I needed to buy out the PMI and all this other stuff. And then before that, partly seller finance, part conventional, like 20% down, you know, like everything, everyone was, I think, sourced slightly differently, and then also financed slightly differently. So that's where like that two years of just reading books really helped because going in, then I was much better equipped when a problem came up, I'd read something or talked to someone who'd had a similar problem. And I was like, okay, maybe I don't always have the answers, but like, maybe here's where I can start. Or here's who I can turn to, to help me think through this, which is Mm -hmm. equally as important as anything else you'll do in real estate is to build a strong community around yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now this is where I'm going to bring in my lame tennis story, because I think there's some (laughs) connection here. Okay. (laughs) We were were past this, but I'm bringing it back because I think the listeners will get a laugh out of this. Okay. So in middle school, I wanted to play tennis in high school, but I never really taken lessons or whatnot. So I went and I signed up for lessons. And so, you know, the, at the beginning, they're like teaching you the grips and they're like, okay, now we're going to practice volleys. So I'm like, okay, I, I got this. So they'd hit the ball over and volley back, hit the ball over, volley back. I, I got this. I got this. And they're like, okay, now we're going to practice forehand. Use this grip. I'm like, okay, I got this. I get the hang of it. Now we're going to do backhand. I practice that. And then they're like, okay, now it's freestyle. Now we're just going to hit you the ball and you just got to figure out like what to, what, which grip and what, you know, where, how to do it. And so my body's going this way and my, you know, my racket's going this way. But I think this ties into what you're saying, because it's like, once you have those tools in your toolbox and that ball comes your way and you're, you're not freaking out. You're not like, oh my gosh, I've never seen this before. You know what to do because you've done that research, you've put in that effort and that time so that when it comes your way, you know exactly what to do. And so I love that you have all these properties, you've financed them all very creatively and in different ways. That shows a ton of resourcefulness. And it's no surprise that you've gotten to where you are. So thank you for indulging me with my my (laughs) tennis story. But anyway, needless to say, I did not play tennis ever again after that. (laughs) But anyway... (laughs) Back to real estate, because I wanted to ask you, so at what point in the journey did you decide that you were going to move from Boston to Indianapolis? Because that's a big thing. And what did your friends and your family think? And why did you think that that was important to your real estate journey? So yeah, so that's that's a good question. I think think it was about six to eight months after I purchased my first property, because then I closed on my second set of deals. So it was like a two door bundle. And it's not to say like, I couldn't be successful. I definitely was successful in getting the deals, getting them renovated. And to date, like those are some of the best deals that I found. Like I can't even now locally, I haven't found them in those like more affluent, the better areas, you know, even after moving here. So it's not to say I couldn't have been successful, but I just wanted more, you know, I just, and it was also kind of, I was looking at my personal life, you know, and I love the city of Boston. Like there's so my family is there. Like I just, I love that city. 
but there was a certain lifestyle there that I just couldn't, I didn't fit into. It just didn't feel right, you know? So I was working the corporate gig. It's an East Coast city, a big city that there's a lot of finance. There's a lot of cutthroat kind of like mentality. It's all about like, let's climb that corporate ladder. Everyone goes to like a good college, comes out and like, that is the mindset. And I've never, maybe it's because of my diverse experiences, but I've never been one to be like, this is the way and it's the only way. I'm always kind of like, is that really what we should be doing? <laughs> you know. <laughs> so like, I really didn't fit into that. And then also thinking about my life in the future, like I want to have a family, I want to do all these different things, I want to have a better balance. And looking at the way that would look in Boston, like I'd be fighting traffic going into my corporate job for where it takes an hour to go six miles, you know, and I see my coworkers working from 6am on the train until like midnight. And I'm like, when do you see your family, you know, or they're on vacation, and they're logged in. I'm like go to the beach like stop you know but they can't stop you know and I just I didn't want that to be my life and I didn't want to have to be glued to that life to be able to put my kids in a good school district where houses are well over a million you know and I was just like there's got to be another way so I definitely moved to Indianapolis for the portfolio but there was also the fact that in my research, it had seemed like two towns were the best places to live by money and Forbes. Like there's got to be something to this, you know? And so I wanted to experience something different and see if it would be a good personal fit while I also really doubled down on growing that portfolio and building my network and my connections here. And tell us about, so once you moved, what was the impact on your real estate portfolio? Did it like speed everything up? Were you able to find better deals? Well, so I like, I'm like very pedal to the metal. Let's do it right away. It actually like, it was hard for me to acclimate because I was like, I should have a hundred units. Now I'm here. But like, I was still didn't have money, you know, and I wasn't comfortable yet. Like taking on investors. I just moved. I didn't have like the teams. I didn't know. I didn't have the contacts, people to reach. Like, I just didn't have the infrastructure where I felt comfortable doing that, you know? So like my step one was just to start, get out, start getting out and meeting people and like maybe get a house hack, you know, and just take really small steps and be okay with that as long as those steps are still being made and you're still working towards it, you know? it's that That's more important than like, I think, accelerating so fast, you know, because, and I want to accelerate so fast. It's so hard to not be able to do it, but like listening to yourself and knowing where, what's best for your journey journey is really important. Yeah. I think something that I wanted to kind of go back to and touch on was, you know, the time that you educated yourself for that couple of years. I think oftentimes people, you know, want to move faster and they feel like they're not moving fast enough and not always, but sometimes make the wrong decision to do a deal just for the sake of hurrying to get into real estate investing and to, you know, say that they're doing it, which there's something to be said for that too, to get out and just Mm -hmm. do it. But I think there's a lot to take away from your story, like what Annie was saying, to have this, you know, toolbox of knowledge. And, and information to be able to pull on, you know, when you need that. And so I love that because it gives a little bit of a different perspective to a lot some of the other guests we've had on the show that, you know, oh, yeah, I jumped in and bought a, you know, whatever, whatever, and started flipping 100 houses a year. And then boom, the crash came. And oh, my gosh, you know, and so I think that there's a lot to that. And then also, you know, it sounds like networking has been a big piece of what you've been able to accomplish, too. And I think that that's something that 
a lot of folks overlook and they think that they're just going to hide in their little shell and, you know, that things are going to be okay and that they're going to find opportunities and that opportunities are going to find them. And, and it just doesn't work that way, you know, and you've, I know for both Annie and I, oddly enough, we were at the same real estate conference um, about, what was it, like a year? Was it a year or was it only half a year before we met? But anyway, yeah, I mean, that was something that we, you know, really prioritized earlier on was, was getting out there and networking and talking to as many people as we could, again, to arm yourself with that knowledge and the information that you need to be able to negotiate things like, you know, like finding an investor for your Burr property or, you know, seller financing. I mean, I've been in the real estate game now for a long time. And I'll tell you, I still have not wrapped my head around the seller financing thing. And I am not comfortable. I wouldn't even know where to start to have that conversation, you know, with somebody. So, you know, that must have come from the couple of years where you were just sitting around waiting. So anybody who's out there, who's listening to the show, who's thinking, I don't have any money to invest in real estate, all of these things that people are doing sound great, and I'd love to do it. Understand that there are other things that you can do in this time, you know, like Sunita has done, which is educate yourself and network because that doesn't, you can go to the library and borrow these books, doesn't cost money to do that. And simultaneously, like you said, you are saving money to then be able to pull the trigger at some point down the road. So I love that. I think there's a lot of value for people who are just looking to get started, you know, take away from your story. So I love all of that. All right. Well, should we should we jump into the investing for good impact round? I'm going to ask you a couple of questions around investing for good that we ask all of our guests. Uh, so the first question is around investing in yourself. So what is one way that your investments are helping you to live a better life? So I'm still in the growth phase. So monetarily, not quite yet, because everything I make just go like goes straight into the business in some way or another. That being said, yeah. the biggest benefit to my life has been the networks that I've built. Because mm-hmm. when you get into real estate, it's because I feel like you're just a little different from everyone else. And other people, they don't understand what you're doing or why you are doing this, you know? So then they don't, there's, there's just, they don't really understand you, you know? And so being able to find a network of friends who are also investors who are also who also think similarly that is how my life has benefited so much because i don't have people they don't think i'm crazy everyone else does <laughs> i get it you know so to be like wholly accepted and to be appreciated as a person but then also be like my sewer line just exploded what do i do and they're like all right we got this like here are four contacts and you're like okay my life this will be okay eventually you know so like just it's really helped me immeasurably to grow as a person and also as an investor yeah, God, I love that. I think that was probably the first time we've ever had that answer on the show. And it's certainly something for me that has been a huge benefit. I mean, I talk to all kinds of people from so many different walks of life. And for sure, I feel like when I stumbled acro- across real estate that I feel like I found my crew, I found my people yeah. and I found my tribe really is what it was, you know? Mm-hmm. So I love that. All right. Second question, investing in others. What is one investment strategy or hack that you might be able to share with the audience that'll help them catapult their investing journey? So I think honestly, the biggest thing is, is developing a self awareness and understanding like, where your limitations and your mindset is where those thoughts are taking you. It's not really a hack. But that is the biggest thing that I've had to work on. And that's the biggest thing I see when I talk to other investors, that's what's limiting them, you know, and we all have our limitations, we have to find a way to work around them, you know, like people don't want to invest in that first property, because they're like, 
I don't have a background in houses. I don't have a background in construction. Like I'm going to lose money. Yeah, you might, but like find a way around that. And everyone has it. You know, you can't just look at a person and be like, oh, they, they have a GC background. It's going to work for them. No, it's not. Like they might not have the business background you have, like sixth grade job out here. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I knew nothing. So quite literally. So, I mean, if I feel like if I can work on some of these limitations, like other people definitely can just you have to be hungry and find a way to kind of make it work. And how yeah. were you yeah. able to develop that self awareness? Was it through like journaling, talking to people reading books? Um, I don't know. I think it was just because I spent a lot of time alone. Honestly, like mm-hmm. I, that was I traveled a lot. And I traveled a lot alone. So I didn't have anyone to talk to. So I spent a lot of time in my head. And that was, I guess, I actually never thought about that. I think that was how that came about. And then also, just there are a lot of things that happen in life. And sometimes you just the only way to figure it out is to figure out why you're unhappy or why this is happening or why that's happening. And just to, I was always trying to better my life, you know, so I think if you're always trying to find the next step, the better, the better route, it kind of happens naturally. Yeah, Yeah. that makes total sense. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. you are you are different. I mean, we're all different here, right? Like, this is not normal. I think normal, a lot of people just accept what their life is, and they don't reach for that next step. They don't question. Mm -hmm. But I think the fact that you a spent a lot of time alone and with that self reflection, and then chose not to accept what was given to you, but really to push the boundaries and see what's possible, what else is out there so that you can reach your personal goals. I think I think the two of those together is probably what got you to where you are today. I love that. Yeah. And not, you know, not accepting, not saying, okay, this is how everybody else is doing it. All right. Then I guess that's how, what I'm supposed to do and not taking that. And I think there's a certain amount of, you know, rebellious nature in, in all of us real estate investors that you need to have to fight and swim, you know, swim upstream and against, you know, the norm and, and, you know, put your foot down and say, no, 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 no. I'm not going to work this job for the next 30 years of my life and sit at this desk. No, I'm not. That is so true. I love this so much. You are right. <laughs> and like, and, you know, figuring out another way and saying, no, there's going to be an obstacle, but not really knowing how you're going to do it, but finding a way and being persistent in that. Because like we said earlier on in real estate, there's always going to be, you know, things that come up, obstacles, challenges, sewer lines, that kind of thing that come up and you've got to be ready and prepared to, you know, to say, all right, this comes with the territory and kind of move on with that. So I love that. All right. Last question is investing in the world. So what is one way that your investments are helping you to make the world a better place? Well, so one of my goals when I retire is to actually spend more time in the nonprofit world and anything left from that for me feels like a failure. So it's actually really hard for me to answer this question. But I think I think the one thing that I do take pride in is making sure that my tenants have like a good living space. So when I bought like my second house, it was infested with rats and the owners hadn't done anything to like clean it up, you know? So like, like I had to spend a a decent chunk of money, I think it was, yeah, on like exterminators and getting all that done, you know? So for now, my impact to the world is just making sure that my tenants don't have to deal with the slumlord, basically, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think, I think that's really important. Like our, 
where we live is so impactful to our lives, you know, and that's the way it's happening for right now. But hopefully in the next five or however many years I can, I can do something that will better impact the causes that I am passionate about. Well, I love that. And, you know, we've had, we don't have some Lords on our show. (laughs) Um, And, you know, collectively what that means is that all of us real estate investors, even on a small scale, we come together and we're making, you know, living spaces more habitable. We're making the world a better place, even if it's one by one or nine houses or nine, you know, six, three duplexes and three homes by, you know, every one by one. So I, so I love that. Mm-hmm. It's making that difference one home at a time. Cause it's Sunita- one person. So like, yes. it's, gonna, like yep. it's still their entire life. So exactly. It's, it's their entire yep. life. And so you are making a world of difference for them. So Sunita, you are an absolute inspiration. I love your story. I know people are going to want to learn more. So where can people go to learn more about you or to connect with you? So I have two places where I can be found on the internet. One is my website, Griffiths Property Group. That is spelled G-R-I-F-F-I-X propertygroup.com. And then my Instagram handle goes by the same name, Griffiths Property Group, G-R-I-F-F-I-X Property Group. Perfect. All right. Well, we will have all of that for our listeners in the show notes. Sunita Rao, avid real estate investor, proud real estate nerd, former professional tennis player and Olympian. Sunita, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story with us today. Thanks for having me. This is delightful. You've been listening to Investing for Good, the number one podcast for people like you who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com slash podcast, and be sure to join the Investing for Good Facebook community. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations every week. Until next time, keep investing for good.